0: Hey music. This is Life Elsewhere Music Curated and hosted by Norman B With new, obscure, rare, unique, and extraordinary music Hits of the future Artists who deserve your attention And timeless recordings you probably missed
1: what a great pleasure it is to welcome back to the program a gentleman that I had a wonderful conversation with last year, a, a man whose work I've been fascinated by for quite some time, and his latest solo album is called co Aitlan. He, of course, is Cahul Coughlin. Cahul, welcome back to know, Life Elsewhere. Nice to see All you, right. man. Mike nice to see, to you, see again. you again. Yeah. Now, Mr. Coughlin has joined up with a gentleman I have not met before. His name is Garrett Jackknife Lee, and he's in Los Angeles. Coughlin in in England. Garrett, welcome to Life Elsewhere. Thank you for having us. Nice to meet you, Norman. So you two have got an album, which I have been playing a couple of tracks from on the show. It's uh, There's a lot of things to talk about here, about how you got this together, how it all came about. But before we go any further... Everybody knows that Mr. Coughlin was in a band called Micro Disney and also Fatima Mansions. Um, We played them on the program a number of times and going back in time, of course, on my shows for years ago. But Garrett Jackknife Lee, I don't know if you know this, but I had a record of yours from way back in 1994. And I'm going to surprise you right now by playing a track from it. This is from the Comforter album by Compulsion. This track is called Rape Jacket. We'll have a chat after it. From 1994 on, the one little Indian imprint, Mr. Garrett Jackknife Lee, there, a member of Compulsion from the album Comforter. That one was called Rape Jacket. What do you got to say about that, Mr. Lee? That was a little bit of a surprise. Um, that was that. That song was
2: trouble from the beginning. Um, it was probably the best song in the album, but because of the title, it causes difficulty and. Um, bit like Cull's, uh problems with record labels in the United States. We had no end of trouble. We um, we recorded that record in Shepherd's Bush over a weekend, the whole album, uh, before we had a deal with One Little Indian. Uh, it was a small deal, you know, with basically demos. And then we ended up signing to Electra Records. They put out a single. We hadn't actually signed to them yet. We decided not to sign to them um and then they put an injunction against us from releasing records and then we ended up uh paying them off because interscope records bought the thing the record was about two years old at the time and rape jacket was supposed to be the first single but interscope uh felt it was too contentious uh, a title to yes. release and uh, they put out a song which was okay called basket case uh which we had to change because we were kind of this Uh, Pixies rip-off punk thing it was just a litany of disasters Uh, Green Day who uh, had also sung Basket Case um, put their song out the same week as us, they obviously got huge and we didn't but I think once we proposed Rape Jacket as the first single American Mage you just thought "Mm, you're just uh, being contrary or difficult and we got uh, and we were we were contrary and we were difficult, and um, it just went downhill from there. And then we decided to be overtly contrary by making a kind of a euro rock record for um, for our um, US debut release. And they just thought you're not playing ball, so you're out. Yes. So anyway, Rape Jacket. I haven't listened to that in a long time, and it just reminds me of um, disappointment. Uh, just after that, Nirvana brought out Rape Me. Yes, and um, so um, I guess it was easier for them to do that, but you know, it, we didn't really, we never really thought about it. Like most things, we never thought it, that it could be difficult or um, misconstrued or anything. We just kind of ignorantly ran, ran, ran down the street with it.
1: So let's come up to date. I want to go back in a minute about some of the things that you've been involved with and, and your latest other project outside of working with cattle. The album that you two have worked on together, you've collaborated together, the title, and I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, Cattle. Aeon, Kayon, Aeon, Crayon. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One one of you two, one of you Irish lads, give me the actual (laughs) correct pronunciation. Ahean. Ahean, Ahean. Okay, there we go. All right, all right. Excuse my sort of um, Philistine English here. You don't, you know, don't worry about it. I was looking
2: at uh, somebody on uh, Welsh radio played our song the other day, and Carl speaks pretty good Irish. I used to speak fluent Irish, and i would forgotten it. Anyway, it's just a lot of consonants that shouldn't be in in a sentence. <laughs> yes. But I was looking at the Welsh, the Welsh language. It was the whole thing was written in Welsh, and I just thought I haven't got a clue what's happening with this thing. Um, those celtic languages are very difficult for english speakers to get get their head around because
1: um it doesn't sound the way it looks yes you know i've noticed i don't know if you two have noticed that recently a lot of bands seem to be making their names so difficult to pronounce you're kind of not not sure which way to go with it let's talk about the album let's talk about this album which in english is number one how did this happen how did you two get together
3: well, um, it was uh, the, the social. We, we well, we we had known each other back in Ireland in the, in the early eighties. At the final show that Michael Disney did in Ireland as a two-piece, myself and Sean O'Hagan, the support act was Garrett, um, who was a few years younger than us, which seemed enormous um, yes. at at that age. Uh, but his 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 talent and and dedication were unmistakable. But uh, we didn't see a great deal of each other for a great many years until Luke Haynes put us in contact because Luke um, from the Otears, et cetera, et cetera, on the one hand had just done an album with Peter Buck, which Garrett was doing a, a remodel of, um, which will be coming out in due course and on the other hand luke was playing some some bass guitar and synth and baritone guitar on my my song of co album so those two things happened around about the same time and luke just happened to mention when i was in his house one day that um that Garrett was working on the on on the on the remodel of um of his album with peter book so um he he volunteered to put us in contact and that happened, and and one thing sort of led to another. Music became the, the form of communication.
2: There was also lockdown had occurred, which meant that plans that were in place were no longer um, there. So we had time to do something like this, and um, it was it became not just a distraction, but a, a, a form of entertainment. Certainly, for for me, um, it was great to reconnect with Carl and finally do some music together you know it's not you know we hadn't as as cal said we hadn't seen each other in a long time but we never made music together so this seemed like a perfect opportunity we're both sitting at home
1: and we have a little time so you did it over the internet so to speak i mean you did it by sending files backwards and forwards
2: yep
3: absolutely
2: yeah which is kind of easy now you know you just uh we both have are pretty self-sufficient with um recording so we could uh, take our own time doing our own things and and uh, when you're working together in a room there's a, there's a different kind of pressure of performing for each other and um coming up with ideas on the spot but it just meant was a time difference so that that enabled us to uh just take a bit of personal time to work to find our way into different things that we were sending back and forth to each other so it, it actually worked quite well that we we weren't
1: together right well, as we're talking about it, why don't we play a cut from it? What I'd like to do is to is for you guys um, to to select. I'm going to ask, I'm going to use ask you, Knight, as, as you were the last person speaking there, to choose a cut, and then next time we'll go over to uh, Cal. So, um, what do you want to hear from the album? I'd really like to hear Archbishop Beardmouth at the Chem Olympics. Ah, well, before we no, I told you what we do. We play it. When we return, we'll talk about it. How's that sound? Right, right. This is Telefish on Life Elsewhere. Explain to
4: the to see. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter
1: doesn't matter. If you're just joining us, my guests are Garrett Jackknife Lee and Cahill Coughland. Together, they are Telefish. We're going to talk about that name in just a few minutes. We just heard a track from their album. This track was called Archbishop Beardmouth at the Chem Olympics. That's an intriguing title there, gentlemen. Who wants to talk about it?
3: Well, um, the Chemo Olympics is something I've been fiddling around with for a long time, which is the just this very simple idea. Given the specter of corruption which has existed in professional sports for some time, would it not be a good thing to perhaps separate the corrupt fringe from the more noble one and just let them do what they want? Like have actual drug Olympics. And that's really a big part of what that song is about. The the, the spectre of uh, anti-PC militancy and the relentless march of money in all human activity. Um, Just just give it its head, make it a theme park, you know?
1: I've got to ask you, of course, that pretty much all the titles on this album, all the tracks, all, I'm sure, have stories behind them. So, Will, I'm not sure we're going to get to all of them, but I I just want to find out about when you were writing the songs... The pair of who was doing the words and who was doing the music? I guess I guess it was Jarrett was doing the music side, or were you doing words as well? Uh, no, I know I'm not going to go near words with Carl <laughs> present. Um,
2: yes. No, I was. No, there, there, the, there
3: have been some bits here and there that have, that have improved things actually. So yeah, you, you have sure. chipped in here and there. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, yeah. thank you for saying that. It's mostly Carl uh, with words, and then I do music, and we, we send things back and forth from there. We're both capable of doing music so um i i start something send it over and see if it uh if if Carl finds it inspiring at all and then he comes back with something um it's an unusual take on on me on the music that i send you know um i, I guess electronic based music or body music um mm-hmm. do not get the level of of um the depth of of of, of um Narratives and uh, um ideas in lyrics in this area, in this field of music. So it's quite a unique combination, yes. and I think yeah. that's what what's actually quite working well about it. You know, we don't really deal with chords as such. There's not really uh, harmonic changes. It's mostly kind of timbre and tonal differences. But the the emotion comes not from music at all. It's coming from from the lyrics. So it's a really interesting collaboration in that respect. So, I, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I, don't, I stay out of the lyrics for the most part. Sometimes if I feel like, uh, I, and this is just a, a uh, uh, practical thing, if I feel like we need a hook, uh, like a pop hook or a hip hop hook or something like that, I will do something very primary color from a lyric that call a sense. I think that's what he's speaking about. So I'll just take something and repeat it which is more my style.
1: Now there's something which I think most people are going to understand from the name and from some of the titles that you both are, are, are very proud of your Irish heritage and, and making that very apparent with the title of the album and the title of your collaboration, Telefish. Explain that for us. What, what, I, I know what the word means, but I'd like you to tell my listeners what's, what does Telefish mean? Well, well I, I I I I think
3: you've put your finger on it, Norman. That um, we're, we're proud of our Irish heritage, but we are also conscious of its innate ridiculousness, and especially the the time capsule that any human being has for the the culture that it, as it existed when they were children. Um, because Ireland has changed immeasurably since the nineteen sixties, sixties or seventies. That was when we. We were both growing up, so um we we glommed onto to it um to that actual milieu as opposed to the real country as it is today, or as it was five hundred years ago, or you know any any combination thereof really, even though to a degree our awareness of the sixties and seventies is informed by the wider sweep of history, I suppose you'd say, but that's that, that's quite a subjective thing so it's quite a rich scene of uh, extinct imagery, I suppose you'd say, and some of it's visual, and, and Garrett has done a lot of visual work using that stuff. So, for example, the St. Bridget's Cross on, on, the, on the front cover of the album is quite a strange and ambiguous, almost haunted um, yes. symbol because it comes from, uh, it was used by the National Television station and then wider national broadcaster early on and held as a, as a, as a, as an almost a trademark for a couple of decades, but its roots go much further back to pre-Christian times. It's the symbol of the, of the pre-Christian goddess, you know, and <laughs> that yes. was so ruthlessly suppressed. In in, in in the Catholic Ireland of post-1922.
1: It's a very stark image, as are some of the other images that you've used for Telefish. One thing that came to my attention with some publicity shots that I've seen of you two, uh, this is a part of your visual presentation for Telefish that brings to my mind... Gilbert and George, the collaborative arts duo. I'm sure you're both familiar with Gilbert and George. Was that just a pure coincidence or, or or were you just where were you going with that? It's not a
2: coincidence, the Gilbert and George part, but I just I'll come back to that in a second. Just a yeah. part of the the, the the difficulties people have with stumbling over titles and the album title and the band name and then the initial visual. It does embody the this the separateness of Ireland I mean there's there's, there's you know um, I live in the United States Carl lives in England we appear to be British and American to other people around us but we're not yes. and so by just using the language itself it it shows that you know we've come from a different point of view and we've had to kind of assimilate into where we are now to be not accepted but to be understood yeah so that's kind of where the, a lot of this image is coming from, is to show that this is not the same thing as where you come from, Norman. It's slightly yes. different. And yes. It's, it's got, so it's, it's very much highlighting that rather than. So we have reappropriated certain um, trademarks, I guess. You know, the Bridget's Cross, the, the meaning is ambiguous, but it, it, it's, it, it has echoes through all parts of Irish culture. From the modern age to prehistory, the same thing with the name that we that we've stolen from New York band called Television. That was deliberate uh, uh, stealing and reuse of of a band that is synonymous with a style of music they invented, like punk, post-punk, whatever it is. And we just, you know, that meant a lot to us when we were co- emerging in music. But that that band meant a lot. Yes, but the meaning for us was maybe different it, it, from what it was. Somebody who saw them CBGBs, it was it was like a a portal into another world for us, or an exit. You know, suddenly appears out of nowhere, and then we realize actually we're not um, the world that we're living in might not be as small as we think it is. So everything is is reusing um, in the kind of modern way, or even in the way British Cross has been reused. It's just. Um, updated, and um, these echoes are attached to it, or this part becomes part of its DNA. So the Gilbert and George thing was also referencing um, some working elements. You know that um, that the individual isn't the uh, it, well, is the art, but isn't the product. It's you know, um, Gilbert and George are very good at separating themselves from their work, but being the work themselves, if that makes any sense. Yes. So um, there was somehow we want wanted to wonder what an Irish craft work would be like, what um Irish technology was like, early technology um, um, that wasn't probably seen at the time or wasn't invented. Um, and then the reuse of Gilbert and George stuff. I mean, there, there, the, the practical side to this is that we're not together yet. We have to do photographs together. So we have to photograph ourselves. They're basically selfies that we then manipulate to make it like there's cohesion. But we're it's acknowledging the um remote working aspect of telefi. So it's a very modern process, but it's an old
1: system, if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense, and I, I've got to congratulate you, well, I've got to both of you for the explanations you've been giving, because it really helps a great deal. I think my listeners are really going to appreciate the explanations that you're giving. Let's take another musical interlude, and I'm going to pass it over to Cal for him to give us a selection from the uh, Telefish album.
3: Well, um, if you don't mind uh, some creatively deployed
1: dead air, <laughs> Falun Gong dancer would be a good one. Okay, are we going to play the the original version, or because I know that you've got a number of versions of the original version?
3: We do. Um, perhaps one of the Wobble versions, just to give yes. people a
1: flavour. So the the, yeah. the main the, the, the main Jowobble version. Okay, we played that on the show before, but I think any time I got the opportunity to play it again, absolutely wonderful. Right. Berlin Gong dancer with wobble from Telefish. This is Life Elsewhere. Yes, Cachou like Lock, coughlin and Garrett Jackknife Lee. That was a track from their new collaboration called Telefish, and that track features the uh, wonderful bass playing of Mr. Jar Wobble, falun gong dancer. First of all, how did Mr. Jar Wobble get involved in this particular version?
3: Well, we we met him through a mutual friend, um, who uh, it's actually Brian O'Neill who who founded Dimple Discs. Yes, um, he, he and, 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 and Mr. Wobble go back a long way. So, um, yeah, we just got an introduction to him um, on a Zoom call, uh, as, as one does. We got on well and uh, yeah, he, he completely transformed the song for us, really. You know, the, the album version is really sparse, um, completely intentionally. And so Garrett had worked up something slightly different for for Wobble to play on, and um, yeah, it's it's just him basically, you know, it's that song, it's it's
1: that, that that musical identity that we we we've loved for many many years. I know that people are going to ask the question. Explain the title to us, Falun Gong Dancer."
3: Well. Um, as some people have rightly surmised it's it's the this the Shen Yun uh show that you see advertised on giant billboards many especially American cities sometimes in the u k also it's quite a charged subject of course, because there's a lot of political import to it you know it's probably the found Gong is probably the most organized um philosophical uh um opposition to the Chinese Communist Party, I think it's fair to say it the, the song is not really about taking up the cudgels on either side of that argument. It's about some someone who who knows he's dying and he's putting himself in the in the hinterland of that conflict because he's obsessed. He just happens to be to allow himself to become obsessed with this this much younger woman. And It's not clear whether he's meta or not. It's not clear whether there's really anything at all there except in his head. But we follow him around the world, essentially, as he as he follows this obsession. And there just seemed to be a, a beauty in the purity of that idea, despite its giant folly, possibly fatal folly that traveled, I thought, really well with with the, the musical setting that Gara came up with, which ha, ha, has, it has that, that purity to it also. And, and mystery and mystery because the, the album version has a lot, of, a lot of space.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. In it, you know, with, with the different versions on the album, I'm sure for you guys for, for working, you're collaborating, but you're also working separately doing versions it's got to be exciting but at the same time how do you know what the other one do you just like wait to find out what the other one thinks is that how it works we're almost working in a kind of telepathic way now with like good relationships we um
2: we're, we're we're so in the um the telefeiche world i mean obviously Carl's doing other things i'm doing other things but once it's almost feels like the telefish. Bit is like home for me. It's like you know, I go and I do other things, which is unusual. Because I wasn't expecting it to feel so easy and comfortable. So we don't have to do that much. Um, there's not much dialogue about it. We're just working. We've just finished the second telefish record, so we went straight from finishing doing the first one a hand to the second one a dough, which is two. so We we just it's been a continual process, and while doing. The second record, we've also been doing the different versions of the first one and the videos and the visuals and all that. So the Telefish world is very well constructed, but it happened without much um, conversation. It just seemed to, we would just send things back and forth. You know, it yes. was, it's very, uh, very, very easy. And um, obviously there's a lot of in- intellectual um um analysis in our own you know um going on within our own within ourselves but when it comes to working together it, it just seems to be a non-verbal communication it's
1: it's unusual i haven't experienced it before I'm, I'm wondering with the pair of you working like this whether this is how you see things as the future of music making or artistic collaboration
3: I suppose it could be for for for, for many, you know. Yes. But I, it, it's, I, th- I think if there were more than two people involved on a constant basis, it would be another order of magnitude complexity. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: and certainly, if any of the the parties were a band um, that got together in a non online way. I think it could feel possibly a bit tenuous and something they didn't want to keep doing any longer than they had to, you know. Um, but the fact that we dream this thing up as a as a means of online communication mm. um, means it's kind of <laughs> adapted itself to suit the
1: space. You know, this humour and uh, commentary and observations, there's all kinds of things going on in telefish. And I'm I'm absolutely positive that this is intended. This is this is something that you both of you want to get across and from the things that you've used, said, that it, it really I, I think it really does come across. And in some respects it needs explanation. And then on the other hand, it's almost like you want people to decide for themselves what 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 you're about what you're doing for instance the graphics and the, and and just the, the inclusion of certain kind of sounds into the into the music it's important for you to have it a little bit mysterious it seems to me a little bit where it's kind of like you're not quite sure are they being deadly serious or is this sort of tongue in cheek what's your take on that
2: i'm not sure there's uh, i'm not sure i don't know <clears throat> i don't know um, Sometimes I don't know what the um, if we are being serious or not. It's just this ambiguous line. Always, yes. um, things that appear to be complex uh, simple are quite complex. Right. So um, you can be you can be a few things at once. It's not just binary. You know this is this is a this is gotcha. This is for humor. This one isn't. This one. You know it's um, certain things. You know uh, something like symphonies of Daniel Arou. That's such a a uh, a complex web of different characters interacting within. Um, it almost feels like sometimes if I'm working on a record and um, I'm stuck on a song, um, I feel like if I store it away, like the way you store records, they're all they're all uh, lined together in a in a pile. I hope when I leave the room the characters from those records communicate with each other or like characters from books if i put two books together initially when i heard it first the lyric i thought this is uh is it serious what's going on and then you get to the last the second part of the song and then i kind of recognize myself in the character and then it kind of hit hard so uh, um, am i the mocking voice in, in in this so you know have i wasted um a lot of my energy so something that can start off that seems n- not frivolous but toying with that certainly flips on a on a coin and then it's it's not so um yeah that goes through all the things from the visuals which could be se- seemingly quaint and by putting them together in a certain way you get this kind of pathos and melancholy and sadness and loss and so it's, it's it's a lot of those things at once.
1: I've got to, uh, thank you for that ex- explanation. I've got to ask you, Cahill, about that particular cup. When I saw that, I was like, I did a second take. I saw the symphonies of Danny LaRue. And I'm thinking to myself, most people these days would not have a clue who Danny LaRue is. And I'm just going to oh, give you a little yeah. bit of, I'm going to give you a little bit of background from my side. I had a studio because I was a graphic designer at one time. I had a graphic design studio in Soho. And Danny used to come out of the theatre where he would play at regularly. I would; he would say hi every, almost every day. I'd see him walking across the street. Danny Larue. I'm going to let you explain to people who Danny Larue was.
3: Well, Danny Larue was essentially a light, a popular light entertainer in mainly in Britain in the 19. His heyday was the probably the, night, the late 1960s. Yes and most of the 1970s. Um, He was originally from the same town that I'm from, but his family had had to leave due to poverty um, in his childhood. And he became, uh, he was a light entertainer who cross-dressed. It wasn't quite drag in the sense that we understand it today, but it was quite, it was very flamboyant, so, you know. There was definitely there were definitely sequins involved, and um, and risque humor, uh, especially when he was performing on the stage of his own nightclub that he owned. Yes, in, in the West End of London for for many years. Um, but he was a friend of the stars. You know, Liza Minnelli was a friend of his, and so on. Um, but he had quite a lot of tragedy in his life, and. I mean, he is someone who I probably once upon a time, a bit like Garrett said, out of, uh, in my case, a kind of intellectual laziness and also that kind of, that that rocket-packed ambition that you have to have behind you to get out of a place and get out of the social milieu that you come from you don't take and you don't take sufficient prisoners. is, is, is I, I guess is how I put it. So both symphonies of Daniel Rue and a couple of the other songs are about reevaluating that, that, that Ireland of, of, of long ago that, that's, that we grew up in. And, you know, the, in the case of the lyrics, it's my, it's my take on it. Um, and essentially the symphonies of Danny LaRue, the song is not about Danny LaRue. No, he, no. He, 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 he provides a backdrop. And really what it's about is the mindset that I had for many years that you just lazily chucking together something that was maybe a bit camp or a bit, a bit, um, show busy with possibly something that was quite grim and, you know, implying that there was some kind of philistine thing involved that could easily be ridiculed. It's the song takes that mindset apart. Yes. And the, 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 the fictional character who, who is seeking to flog his, his low art concept of the symphonies of Daniel LaRue was a satirical slash performance art slash whatever fraud, um, he, he he dreams up he is he is the figure of ridicule um and yeah the song just kind of takes that and run, runs with it but at the same time the track has has like garrett said a, a sort of pathos about it we've used samples of denny himself speaking and it ha- there is a, there is a melancholy right there it's it's yeah. it, 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 it is right there and in, the, in 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 the in a short middle section of the song, I sort of recap. Danny he's, is in his nightclub. He he won't get off the stage, which he was famous for. His routine would vastly overrun every night, and his 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 coast, is the rest of his cast used to get frustrated with him. Um. Uh. But that's just a flash, Then it's back to the to the the ignoble character of of. Of, of the present day so the, yeah it's 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 a, it's a bit almost operatic you'd say really yeah but yeah. but but not in the way that the title
1: might lead you to, to think as we've talked about it extensively what do you think shall we play it
3: oh yes please
1: okie doke here it is the symphonies of danny larue this is telefish on life elsewhere
4: The symphonies of Psalms and prayers, Dan expire.
1: title of that track the symphonies of danny larue and uh, we heard some explanations about it before we played it that's telefish right here at life elsewhere uh, this is another reason why this album is so i think it's just such an enjoyable it really is there's such a lot going on here and i'm really appreciating you guys explain explaining what's going on i want to now focus back on garrett jackknife lee who's over in los angeles this is what's really interesting right now via zoom i'm I'm in my uh, my loft in in Florida. Cathal's in uh, London. I, you're in London. I can't remember. No, I, I'm in the Midlands of England. And the actually. Midlands, that's right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Peak and Garrett's and Garrett's over in the um, in Los Angeles. Topanga. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay. So, uh, I want to focus in on you for just a minute, sir. You have produced a mixed uh, the list. I was looking down the list of things that you've been involved with. And my gosh, it, it goes on forever. Just I know, to It's, scene. it's yeah. kind of
2: ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I do recognize um, the absurdity of the, you know, if you were say on a cruise ship with all the people I've worked with, you think, why the fuck is Neil Diamond sh- uh, sharing a bunk with Crystal Castles? It makes no sense. Um, but I, I seem to be doing it. I don't understand how it's happening. But,
1: well, yeah. I, I'm going to suggest that people either Wikipedia you or go, whatever, just look you up and because there's such a lot. You're going to go, what? what? Yeah, just as you said. The latest thing that I know of you working on as a as a, a producer and co- collaborator outside of Telefish, and now, again, you're going to have to help me here on the on the pronunciation, but it, you're working with a lady from Mali, West Africa, who's also known as the Rose of Bamako. Her name is Rokia Kone. Am I right about that? Is that the correct pronunciation? That's how I say it. Okay. Um,
2: you know, it's, it's one of those... Um really proud of that record it's 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 kind of an amazing uh thing lucky to have been involved that's another lockdown record I've never actually spoken to Rukia really? um no um wow. she doesn't speak English I don't speak uh, um Bamanan she speaks a bit of French Suppose we were doing a gig in April um I haven't figured out how to do that yet but we'll, we'll do it so at the beginning of lockdown I was um I heard a guitar player from Mali called Salif Kone. I didn't know who he was. I just heard this person playing on a recording. I tried to find out who he was to see if he wanted to make a record. Eventually, chased him down, Um, um, and then I said I, I contacted somebody that knew him. It was like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. You know, six degrees of separation. I asked them if he would be interested in making a record. They said, "Well, he doesn't have any recordings." Obviously, it was going to have to be remote, but he's played on this recording and, he, and they sent me a kind of a, a, like an iPhone or something recording of, of him playing with this woman, Rakia Kone. And I said, just send me the file and see if I can do anything. And um, we ended up doing a whole album that way. It, 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 it was quite extreme. There was We were halfway through the record and then there was a coup in Mali. The army took over and um, there was a curfew so we were we we didn't get finished new recordings so i had to go through just bits of recordings that she had left to try and finish an album so they would send me files and then i would work on them and um, anyway we've done the record so i'm I'm really happy about it um, because it's a dangerous area for me um there's a kind of a colonial aspect too that is really dangerous about western producers European based producers working with people f- not from there and um being a bit oh let me you know introduce you to this you know the west western music so it's very dangerous and I don't like a lot of records that come out that way it's just like bad house beats over great music um so I wanted to make this more of a of t- to feel like it all happened at the same time the recordings so that t- that was quite challenging um and um, one of my favorite records of all time is New Strat, Other Can" with Michael Brook. They did two albums together and it was really a pivotal record in my life. And um, just to get something approaching that is a you know, people talk about timeless records, but I, I really don't know when that you know it doesn't sound like it was made at any time. Um, and I want to do something that was a little sibling of that, if it was all possible. Luckily, uh, Peter Gabriel heard what we did and put it out' putting it out in real world Yes, but it was a, it was a challenge, and it was a kind of a great
1: record to be involved with well i 'm very honored that you very kindly Garrett sent me a copy of the album, and I have to tell you, I have been playing it nonstop, particularly in my car i 've been when I have got drive around town or whatever i just I love it this is this is so good. We've got to play a track from, I can't, I, I, I'm going to let you decide. Let's play a track from, the album is called Bam Anan. It's Rokia Kone and Jackknife Lee. What do you suggest? What should we hear? Kurumbah. Kurumbah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. I think it's track number yeah. number three, isn't it? I think, Kurumbah. It yes. was
2: strange. When I, when I got the files, obviously, I didn't speak uh, Bam Anan, so they would send me files, and I would assume this was the song title. Yeah. Um, so I would name them working title, this is the song title, but some of them are called like files. And um, (laughs) so I didn't know what anything was called. I also like she would sing for about 30 minutes and I would chop up into a song. And obviously I don't know the language. So I didn't know if my edits were mid sentence. Um, I listened so much. I just had, I just listened to it and listened to it until i felt i knew what she was singing i'd asked for translations but I never got them so it was um a really unusual project technically incredibly demanding and then because i just immersed myself in her voice um i felt i knew what she was saying so um i was very grateful that um that something aligned that i didn't get any of it wrong i guess you know in terms of uh, the narrative or, or lyrics so um Anyway, this, this song is about the treatment of women in Mali. Um, so after you've had your children and they've left for, for work or they're married, uh, w- w- wives are generally discarded. Their, their, their usefulness is, is, um, is, is done, so they're just discarded. And um, th- this song is about that.
1: Here it is, this is Life Elsewhere. Karumba is the title of that track. And Garrett Jackknife Lee explained what it's about. It's the the perils and trials and tribulations for women in Mali. That was Rokia Kone with Jackknife Lee. The album is called Bammanan. I love that music. It's just great stuff. It really is. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's really important that you did. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight talking with you. You've explained so much so well it's, it's, it's a treat uh, to, to talk to you both I have been talking to the collaborators on Telefish Cahul, Coughlin and Garrett Jackknife Lee thank you so much gentlemen for joining us at Life Elsewhere thank you Norman thank you
0: Hey, music. you have been listening to Life Elsewhere Music hosted and curated by Norman B we'd love to hear what you think of the program and we want to hear your music. Contact us at this address, info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. To hear the show again, go to the Life Elsewhere music page at lifeelsewhere.co. Or go to lifeelsewhere at mixcloud. Life Elsewhere Music is produced by Norman B and recorded in one take without edits. (laughs) Thank you for enjoying Life Elsewhere Music.